You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today we're hearing from Todd Barry, absolutely wonderful, uh, dry, whispering, uh, slow-paced. What other things can we say about Todd that aren't uh, beaten to death by uh, people trying to describe his stuff? Uh, Todd is a a very low-energy, high-precision performer, and uh, we're going to be talking a lot about his most recent uh, tour, his crowd work tour, where he goes on stage with no prepared material and just plays with the crowd, but in a way in which you are unlikely, very unlikely, I would say, to have seen it done before. This, without further ado, is the brilliant Todd Barry. How was last night? You're doing crowd work at the Soho <laughs> Theatre. I'm doing the crowd work tour, yeah. I, uh, it's gone three, I, I think each night it's gotten better. Okay. Um, I've done three, and the first night was good, then the second night was, I would say, really good, and, the, and last night was really good also. So maybe all three good. Okay. But, yeah, because I didn't know what to expect if, I w- if they were going to... This is the first time you've done crowd work in the UK? It's first time I've done a crowd work show, yeah, in the U.S. Sure. <coughs> just, just for those that uh, that haven't yet caught up with it, the crowd yeah. work tour is no prepared material. Right. It's just kind of uh, what's going on. I start pretty mundane conversations, and hopefully they lead somewhere that's not mundane. Okay. Or they're mundane and they're funny. So are you... How much of, how much of your act beforehand was crowd work before you embarked on this tour? <coughs> um, well, I always tend to do it like, I just hit this moment in my show or where I'm just bored. And then you just kind of sometimes or I'll have a joke prepared and I'll bounce it off someone, you know, I'll have a joke about being a picky eater and I'll ask someone any picky eaters here. And then someone will I'll have a funny, hopefully funny discussion and then I'll ease into my joke. Yeah. So I've always done I'm for that. I can't remember when I started doing it, but at some point I and then I've had shows where like I probably did too much crowd work, but. I, you know, I just, uh, at some point I, I wanted to do something to shake things up for me. So I said, why don't I book a whole tour where I just do crowd work and 
because you were known as kind of almost a one, not quite a one-liner comic, but no, certainly... No, I the, wouldn't say a one-liner, but I'm not necessarily a ranter, but... Sure. So, I mean, I think I was known as... I'm, no, I'm not dead. I've, I've been known as a, uh, you know, somewhat decent joke writer. Yeah. And the, I noticed the track listing on uh, Medium Energy is yeah. like the tr- it's literally one track per joke. Some of them are thirty. Yeah, seconds well, you know long. that that kind of blew up in my face because I released that pre, you know, iTunes, I think, and you know, in two thousand one, I introduced that myself, and <clears throat> so I just name every time I change a subject, I would name the track, and then it was on some subscription services like E Music, which I don't know if they have that here, but just download sites. And they would charge ninety nine cents per track, and people mm-hmm. were like, "I'm not going to spend sixty dollars, fifty eight dollars to buy your album." I'm like, okay, so then I mean, they're good jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, would yeah, think but, a joke was worth ninety nine yeah, cents, but you know, like a twenty second joke for ninety nine cents. But yeah, so then I ended up grouping them. So it's, okay, but yeah, I did. It you know, you change with the times. I, I think where I'm what I'm driving at is that you were not known for crowd work. It's yeah. quite unusual <clears throat> that it be you that go that that says. I'm going to do it all. That's just crowd work. I think people who knew me, you know, had seen me a lot or a number of times would sort of knew I was good at it or could be good at it. But I think there are a bunch of people who were surprised, like, wow, I never would have expected him to do this, which is good because I think it turned out that the film, I think the film turned out all right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, someone wrote that. Oh, it, I saw someone comment like, "Oh, he's kind of low energy." I didn't know he'd be good at crowd work. Like, I don't. It's, it's just a conversation. You don't need to be well, high energy to have a conversation with someone. Yeah, it certainly is the way you do it. Because I, I have to say, knowing your act a little bit before hearing about the crowd work special, which I've now seen and people can watch on Netflix uh-huh. and or buy from your your site. Yeah, which I, I noticed that on your Twitter handle earlier. I was like, "Oh, that's a good idea. Put it on Netflix and sell it for people who don't have Netflix." Well, <clears throat> it was originally. I know we're going off on a tangent here. That's but fine. We could do it was that. originally, I mean, the way it happened was I booked a crowd work tour by myself. Then I wanted to, and people said, oh, did you film it? I was like, ah, you know, I want to start following a camera crew, following a range. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of preparation to do something like that. And it's just, I'd rather just go do the shows. And then the second, I booked a second tour and I was like, maybe I should just put the effort into recording this somehow. So I, I was already to write I was sort of writing to Netflix I knew some someone over there who I'd met <clears throat> and I was like kind of going to put it out there and then Louie CK called me up you know he's an old friend of mine and we just were talking shooting the shit and uh, he's like what have you been up to I go well I'm, I'm trying to get the, you know I'm doing this tour I do all crowd work and you know I'm thinking of writing to Netflix see if they would put it out and he's like and he started asking me questions and he's just like right there on the spot he goes would you let me put this out and uh, on my side, and I was like, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was <laughs> would, you, would, you, sh- would you rather deal with the vagaries of a big business yeah, or have you me rather, a trusted old w- friend w- right. with a huge connection to an audience? Would you rather seal this deal right now or, <laughs> or hope that that guy is not on you know, vacation when you send him an email? And, sure. And, I mean, it, it much more of a long shot that Netflix would have just suddenly done all that. Yeah. You know, hired a production crew. But Louis was like, yeah, let's do it. And there was a director who I knew, and he happened to be free that week and a half. And it all, you know, then all of a sudden, like, I just showed up in these towns and those cameras set up. And so it was pretty nice. I think when I first heard about the idea of a crowd work tour, before I kind of connected it with the fact oh. it was you doing crowd uh-huh. work, that feels like, I suppose you could 
you could kind of see that as a, a kind of a lazy idea. Like, I'm just going to wing it. You know, there's plenty of comics who are, you know, maybe, maybe ranty or maybe not ranty, maybe more conversational, uh-huh. high-energy comics. I think we can imagine the idea of like, oh, a crowd work tour, there's going to be a lot of, hey, buddy, where you're from. Mm-hmm. But the way in which you have the conversations has, it's such a measured, your pace is so measured and your authority on stage is so measured uh-huh. that you're, it's, I just wonder whether you are kind of uniquely placed. You can, you can, give, you can afford yourself a huge amount of time to have a conversation with someone. And some of the angles that you're, throwing in like in the in the netflix movie that band and i'm i'm not going to remember the name avant abstract yeah, yeah of course i looked at their myspace page afterwards yeah <laughs> um but the fact that you were then like did you manage to get avantabstract.com that's a great line of questioning you know so i wondered whether you had prepared lines of questioning to go no i didn't i mean sometimes you end up doing a few shows in a row where you have a musician in the crowd or and you maybe go down like sometimes it'll just go tell me some song titles. Okay. So, but not like there's nothing like at you know at 28 minutes into the show I'm going to ask this guy this because I don't sure. know who I'm, I didn't know they were going to be in the audience. Yeah, and, of course. So for the most part, it's pretty much what it promises to be, which is spontaneous. And conversely, are you careful not to tread down more well-worn paths in crowd work? Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go for just something cheap. I mean, and I try to try to go for, uh, I, you know, like just go for angles that might not be expected, or like you know, there was that scene with an actor in Vancouver mm-hmm. segment of the crowd work tour sh- film, and uh, where I just ended up go, let's let's run your lines for your audition for yeah. So yeah, that yeah, was yeah. <laughs> that was really fun, and just like didn't know that was about to happen, so. And could you, do you think you could stand by an hour of a release of one gig? Could you go, oh, this is the whole thing? Because it was seven, yeah. Five, five different shows or seven shows, you kind of get to pick the, the best bit. Yeah, I think depending on the show, like I think the last few nights I could have just picked one of those. And, you know, I would have squeezed some of the air out of it in editing. But, yeah, I think I could. It depends on the show. But, I mean, having seven cities gave it a different... Yeah. He gave me on the road kind of feel, and yeah, you really got a sense of. Um, I'm going to embarrass myself now by not remembering the name, but the one where the is it was in San Francisco where everyone was. There was a guy who kind of he, I can't even remember the details now, but there was a you know there was like a particularly hippie city where everyone yeah, was like, yeah. oh, what I do is I you know manufacture bubbles or whatever. I can't remember what he said. Yeah, that could have been San Francisco or Portland. Probably, I, I think it was Portland. I'm definitely thinking or of Portland. Seattle or really yeah. <laughs> really any place that I would visit. So, you, just to briefly follow that line of questioning, you would tour those particular towns. I guess you're. Would you describe yourself as an alt comic? No, I, I kind of. I get called that, and I think I get called that because the rooms that were sort of, you know, named alt rooms or deigned, if that's the right word, alt rooms. I would play. I would perform at those. So I was definitely part of like when I was, when I found out there was a scene of people who were like and I part of it was started like by my manager who started this Luna Lounge show okay way back in New York and it was an alternative space but now I never would do it in a way that was like hey uh, I just they had to come up with a new category of comedy for me because what I'm doing sure. is so different and it's like because I I find just being called a comedian and if someone writes a blog or something and says calls me an alt comic I will sometimes write to them go can you just 
Really? Yeah, I have done that before. Why? Why is that specifically? Because I think it's a it sort of a empty, pretentious. Because uh, I mean, a lot of these rooms that are alt rooms, people are just doing stand up. There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing. You know, sometimes someone will go up there and do something really conceptual or a character thing that might not fly in a stand up club. But so that in that sense, I sort of see it. But a lot, it's a lot of it's just straight stand up about. You know, I could go do it in the the most mainstream comedy club in the, the world, and and also at the alt room. But. So, is there is there a, a sort of a degree to which you're managing your brand by saying you don't want to be called a an alt? I, I feel awful that I've even no, said no, that. No, sentence. I think if I, you know what I mean, <laughs> no, I know, and no one wants to say they have a brand, but I mean, some people do. I I would be someone who wouldn't say that, but I know what you're saying at the same time. Um, no, it's, I never thought of it that way. I just, <clears throat> I really just don't want to be lumped into some sort of empty. I mean, when I use the term alternative comedy, I usually will use it as a shorthand for a room that might be at a bar or not in a full-time comedy club, but not necessarily like, okay. oh, dude, man, I'm better than those club comics, you know, because I'm, because sure. there's people who don't do the alt rooms uh, who are, you know, among the funniest people in the world, like someone like Dave Attell is powerhouse. He's one of the funny. You're familiar with Dave? Yeah, I'm, yeah, the yeah. Way. He's fantastic, and he's he doesn't really go near those rooms. Sure. So you're you've been doing comedy for a good while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how many years are we up? We're I'm in my 29th year. How does that How does that feel? I, talk talk I say me it, through that eyebrow yeah, raise. I know. When <laughs> I say it out loud, it just sounds like God. That's such a. It just makes you feel old, but but. Yeah, know, I guess it's there's worse jobs, uh, and I'm sure we both had jobs that are worse than what we do now. And yeah, it, it's kind of crazy that I've done this longer than I've done anything. You know, is there is there an extent to which you started with? I mean, obviously, like presumably when you started 29 years ago, there were far fewer comics. No, well, oh, was it was it still no, as, started as busy right as it feels right I now? I started in the 80s comedy boom. Okay. Well, there were maybe even more comics than there are now, but I, it's hard to tell how many. I don't know how many comics there were then or now, but yeah, I mean, I started in Florida where you could, there was comedy everywhere. Every city in Florida had, not every city, but all over Florida. Because I don't think we had a we had a boom over here. No. Like the 80s that we did, but there were like 12 people involved. I think you had your 80s boom like 10 years after we, you know, in the 90s maybe. I don't sure. Know when, but... Yeah, so there was comedy everywhere when I started. And were you inspired by that kind of stuff to start? What what drove you to start in the first place? Um, I never, like, I didn't wait. I was out of college when I started. I never, ever wanted to do stand-up. Never even thought about it for more than a second, I don't think. And then I just went to open mic nights, and then I just sort of got this. I would go to the, you know, they would have these. It was definitely, I don't know how the open mics here are, but. In New York, a lot of the open mics are, you go there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. They make you buy a drink. And you perform for the other, com- you know, the other comics, and maybe some stray regular in there, maybe. <laughs> so they're not the most realistic. You're not really doing a show necessarily. It's definitely worth doing, but but when I started, they they had the open mics in um, during a regular headliner show. Like a headliner would be there Tuesday through Sunday or something, and on Tuesday they would have open mic then an opening act and then the headliner okay so you played to a real and this was in the 80s when everyone people were just going to see comedy just to see comedy sure so you'd have this you know 100 people 200 people on a tuesday and their real audience and 
you do your five minutes. And you could just, at least down there, and you could just sign up by going, you know, I want to try this. And they go, uh, how about next Sunday? And then all of a sudden, you're a comedian. Or, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, that does sound markedly. Of, I mean, they're pretending you're, you know, you have a yeah, chance sure. to be a comedian. That does sound markedly different to the environment of comics starting now. Yeah, I, I don't. It is definitely a different world. And Would you have survived as a comic if you'd started now, do you think? I don't know. I mean, because I, I sort of, I moved to New York after doing it. I moved back to New York after doing it in Florida for only about a year. So, I mean, you know, if I meet someone now who's done comedy a year, I go, you, you, you haven't really, you're not, you're very new. Yeah, were you I about mean, to say be, you're not a comic? No, no, I mean, I probably was about to say that, but I don't, I hate, I wouldn't really say that. That was, that's a little harsh, I think. But, yeah, so, I mean, in a sense, I did start. It's not like I, you know, I went, arrived in New York and, like, everyone was like, oh, my God, we got check out who just moved to town. You know, it's like no one, <laughs> no one gives a shit. I had some people who, comics who sort of helped me get a foot in the door at some places. Okay. But it's not like, you know, they're not like, like oh, my God, there's a new comedian in town. We should really. Who were your allies back then? Who were the people um, helping you out? Well, it was like a guy named, it was just a guy who's not, you know, I don't think he's very well known here, but he was, it was a guy named Vic Henley who was a Southern comic who I happened to work with in Florida who lived in New York, and he kind of helped me get in at a couple clubs. But I, then I ended up getting in and out of clubs, and it was never like, I mean, some people move to town and boom, they're off and running. Okay. I, that you know, I definitely, for me, it was just persistence, I think, and sort of not not being uh sort of just going all right this sucks i hung out all day and i didn't get on stage but i'm going to do it tomorrow when you when you say some people moved to town and boom they were off and running what do you think what quality or what circumstances were they enjoying that enabled that to happen for some um, people well i think i i mean i've always said i don't know if i actually believe this but if i had it to do over again i would have been on the road for maybe two more years before i moved to new york so that when you so arrive, you arrive and you're just like, oh, a ten minute set, yeah, that's not a problem. But I mean, not that I couldn't do a ten minute set when I moved there, but but you always, I mean, I think there is a tendency to think you're better than you are, and but there's also just general, you know, just they're not. It's competitive, and they just don't. There's not a real like. There's no reason for them necessarily to be excited about you. Yeah. That's a hard lesson, I think, for a yeah. comic when you realize that actually no one cares. Right. I mean, they, they do care, but they also, they're not, they probably see you more as a pest than a... <laughs> yeah. Or certainly seeing, like, I feel I've, I've definitely heard newer comics kind of going, well, if they won't give me a gig, how am I supposed to get better? And you're like, that, that doesn't occur to them. <laughs> do right. you know what I mean? Right. But there's also comics who have a distorted uh, sense of entitlement and they are, where you talk to them and you go... Well, you're not really trying to get on stage, so that they're not going to come to your apartment and ask you if you want to do a show. Sure. So you can't just you can sit around and complain to your friends, but you really should just go out there and bite the bullet and just try. So you had persistence. Yeah. What were your other? What were the other tools in your arsenal? Early. Days? I mean, I think I had. I mean, I think I did have good jokes. I mean, I don't. I don't think maybe any of them were ones I'd be proud of now, but. I think I you know I think I showed, showed some sort of I mean there were people way back when I did get on like at Catch Rising Star which was a huge club I mean I remember like 
Seinfeld was in the back once and he came up to me and complimented me. And this is like 25 years ago. So, so I must have had some sort of uh, uh, talent, I guess. Ooh. <laughs> I've never said that before. But no, I must have had some skills that. Do you remember your most trustworthy joke from the first year or two of your career? Oh, God. Um, first year or two. Um, well, like the first one that you thought, oh, oh, that's that's what I wanted to write. That works. I mean, I don't know if it was the first year or two, but maybe four or five years in. I, I mean, I've, I had a few. I don't. Know, I feel silly doing jokes. One in my would own you time. would you mind just for this for the sake of analysis? Would you mind butchering one for me? Um, I had one. This is probably four or five years in where I. Um, well, I'm just going to try to struggle to remember it. Yeah, that's where. Just something about how I I had sex with a woman and I took out the con took out the box condoms and then she took it from my hand and said, "Oh, good choice," <laughs> and something just something that I go I didn't expect her to be a virgin, but this was a weird time to show brand loyalty and just just kind of it was it was pretty good. I was like, "Oh, that's a pretty good joke," and I mean, I think I could still do that joke if I okay. if I wanted to do a twenty year old joke. And that's a very you kind of a joke, I think. It's like a reaction. I've just been listening to a few of your albums yeah. recently. It's like a person said a, a thing. Yeah, that, yeah. And it, it's also like um, they're quite unusual setups. It's not like a person said a thing that is inherently funny. Right. Do you know what I mean? You're really good, I think, at mining oh, an good. unusual angle. I think, of, yeah, I think someone criticized me for like doing jokes like that. It's like, why? I don't. What's wrong with it? I don't. Oh, what? That it was formulaic that you were or responding some sort of, to things. I think they use the term straw dog or something. I don't know. Straw man, straw man. Oh, like oh, in, like inventing a thing. Yeah, that someone but these, said, these so were you all. Comment on it. I guess so. I forgot what a straw man is, but I, I think is when you, uh, you, collate someone's. Uh, so you kind of you reframe someone's argument in such a way that you can defeat it. Yeah, it it's maybe. Well, know. maybe that is what I do then. But I, <laughs> but I don't. I mean, it's all real encounters. So, yeah. so in a sense, it's. I've always thought it's like I'm not a story. Like when someone asks me to do a storytelling show, I go, "Yuck! I don't want to do your storytelling show." But I guess what I do is often just sh- very short stories. Yeah, I think so. I think another of your your great skills is in finding tag after tag after tag. Yeah, after I love tag. when that happens. I yeah, mean, that when I because yeah, I mean sometimes I. Like, I did an interview in uh, in the states with Terry Gross, who's you know pretty high profile uh, NPR, and she kind of she played a lot of my stuff, which people don't usually do during. Okay. And she played this joke, and I was like, "Wow, that was, that was pretty." I was like, "Well, that's not a bad joke." It was, it was a long one. I was like, "Wow, how did I?" I was pretty. I was proud of myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, well, I can write a nice minute and a half, two minute joke. So talk me talk to me about the writing of of a joke where there's loads and loads of tags. Are those tags all coming about in, in moments of improvised on like repetitions? Yeah, I do very joke? little um, homework as far as, and I always say that I wish I did. I should do more homework. It's just so not. I, I guess I just. I mean, I just. It, I don't know if it's laziness or just process. Because someone like Louis and a lot of comics don't sit. I mean, like I think. Seinfeld will probably write out a joke. You know, he sits there with a legal pad and writes mm-hmm. it out word for word, and that works for him. But I tend to come up with the germ of an idea and just start, and just beat it to death, basically. <laughs> On stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and um, 
you know, there's always the thing like, I feel like there's another thing I could say about this. And then if I think of one, then, then yeah, it's great to pile on because I don't even think I do that enough because I hear other comics who are like, you know, like a Bill Burr or someone who's like, man, he could, he could like go buy an ice cream cone and talk about it for 15 minutes or <laughs> yeah. something. But yeah, so I mean, I do love when it's like stacked on. And also those stacking those ideas on are you thinking about them during the day when you're on the bus or is it um, just that they come to you on stage when you're when you're tunneling into the i mean the i idea? will think about it during the day um i i don't you know i a lot of it is just because i'm just so scattered and so uh my attention span i think is pretty weak but i think that's a lot of comics uh so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not like, I knew, I mean, I see comics, you know, now, I haven't seen this in a while, but I'm starting to see comics with their notebooks and like, oh, good, people are back to being comics again. Like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it just, it seemed like there was a time where it was about like, you know, using comedy as a stepping stone to something yes. else. Um, and I kind of miss, like, you know, we used to, when I was a kid, we used to just talk about jokes and gigs and you guys were talking about deals and agents. Auditions and right, stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. And, so I, um, yeah, I mean, I wish I had like a thing where I wake up at 10 a.m. and then I, you know, make a coffee and I, I don't leave the house for two hours until I'm written eight premises or something. And I, I'd probably be better off if I did that. But It's interesting that you, I think most comics feel like that, apart from the very few put in the Seinfelds who will sit down and go, yeah. okay, here's a show or in... In the UK, there are kind of comics I think of as people who go, yeah, they probably spend uh, two months in November writing next year's tour show, and they yeah. go, bang, there we go, it's it's delivered. Yeah, and um, it does interest me that the for the rest of us, the majority of us, I think, not only do we not do that, but we also labour under this preconception that we should be doing that. And it seems like a really good way to get a, a gift of a life and a gift of a career and turn it into something you have to worry about. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I guess comics are always will also often find the the downside to things. But I mean, like I I'm writing a book now. I got a deal to write a book, and I've been going into you know, especially as the deadline approached, I suddenly got like, hey, I'm a guy who goes to the coffee shop and writes for three hours every day. Okay. And then and at some point, I was like, I'm glad I'm doing this, I guess. But now I kind of wish I had done this with my stand up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I'm more prolific than some people, and not as prolific as other people is the way I would describe myself. But I um, yeah, because I was like, man, if I I remember talking to Colin Quinn about this, and I was like, God, you know, if I just spent a half hour a day writing, yeah. and he's like, fifteen minutes, <laughs> I was like, you know, you're right, and it's like I don't even, I mean, I it's always on my mind, I guess, but I I don't, I guess I don't love sitting around, like I think Seinfeld loves tinkering with jokes, like he just loves, and I, I do too, but I just have a different way of doing it. I think. Uh, I definitely, once I realized, once I started, once I started doing that system of, um, I'm, I'm just going to try and sit down for two or three hours a day, two or three days a week. Yeah. I remember maybe I started doing that maybe six years ago. Yeah. And it took me like two years to stop dreading it. And even now I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to work now. But I make myself do it. And at the end of it, I go, oh, yeah, there's, there's some stuff there. But as soon as I discovered doing that, I absolutely had that thing of going, why didn't I do this from day one? What was I doing with my time? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have so much more material if I had done that. And I, I don't know. Some of it is like you can beat yourself up, but some of it's like, well, maybe this is just the way I work. And just yeah. like I do need to stare into space and 
walk around and you know I also think there's um, there's a shift in you know you, you're saying people are carrying notebooks again. Yeah, I think there's been shifts between whether people want to do comedy in order to express themselves or mm. they want to do comedy. Obviously, the one end of the scale is purely express yourself and be yeah. poor and you know you know get the bus home and yeah. you did it. And at the other end is get yourself a million dollar movie deal. Right. But I also think there's um. There's an extent to which, certainly in the UK, I feel like I was at the tail end of a group of people who started doing comedy because it was an alternative lifestyle, because it was an escape from work, from yeah. the real world. And then I feel like shortly after I started comedy, maybe 11 years, maybe even 12 years now, um, shortly after that was the sort of the first outliers of people going, I'm, I'm going to have a career at this. Like all that, more, more, of a, more of a wave of that happening. I'm sure yeah, there's yeah. Career, careerists along the way. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a career. It's just some people. It depends on how mu how much that infiltrates your comedy. I think. And do you think? I mean, presumably you're saying that because you believe in a, a kind of a purity. I do, but I mean, I, it's not that I don't. I mean, I have an agent, I have managers, I have, you know, I like to get a, you know, booked in some place if they're paying me nice money. Yeah, I certainly like that. But um, I think there's people who are just. Everything is filtered through. I'm going to have a career, as opposed yeah. to I just I like comedy. And a guy, a guy described it. A uh, friend, a guy I know described. He's, some people he goes. Some people I think are more into a scene than they are into comedy. Yeah. So I think there's sort of there are people like you know it is a scene. It's your social life. You know you're probably alone all day, and then at night you see your friends and you tell your jokes, and then uh, you're alone again the next day and. <laughs> But I mean, maybe not everyone's as alone as as I sometimes have. But so, of the group of people that you started out with, who then went on to uh -huh. make it, like you mentioned, Louis and some of the other people, I'm sure that we we would know in the in the UK. Yeah. Um, I noticed. Uh, I was looking at some of your uh, TV credits, and I feel like I've kind of mentally got you in this category of, oh, he's one of those people that plays a fictionalized version of himself. It seems that on, way. Yeah. On TV shows. Yeah. Created by. His buddies from back right. in the day. Is yeah. that is that fair? I yeah, don't yeah. To, I mean, I've got to detract from the work. That there you're doing. was a time, you know, I was filming Louis and this show Delocated, and I was like, I'm playing myself in two consecutive jobs, or <laughs> concurrent jobs, I guess is the word. Um, How did that feel? Like realizing? I mean, it's a type of thing where, uh, you know, both those shows were fun and interesting and funny, but you know, if you had to, I mean, it's not my ideal thing to play myself but on louis it works because it is about there's some sort of realist there's some sort of documentary slightly documentary feel to that in that the comics you sit around at, at the real comedy cellar mm -hmm. with you know their real names of course yeah. you know the the situations are heightened and fictionalized but and and whose fictionalized version of yourself are you playing? Are you playing Louis's version of yourself, or are you playing your version? Yeah, of I yourself? mean, like without uh, getting too inception about it. I mean, yeah, because I mean, I did a, a, a scene on Louis. It was a pretty big scene he gave me, which was very nice. Where I went through a day in my life, and did you see that one? I didn't see that one. Oh yeah, it's no. pretty long. He gave me a good. It's a good six, seven minute probably scene. I don't know, maybe longer, maybe shorter, but it's big, and. uh but he wrote it for me. So, but there were so there were times where I was like, like there was a time where one scene where I kept he kept having me go boom, like I said, and I go boom, and at some point he goes, 
You don't like saying you don't want to say boom, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather not say boom like every third <laughs> sentence. And he's like, I don't say boom. And, you know, there was a scene where, like, I got a, I don't know if that ended up in the final cut, but I, I got a, I was getting ramen at a place and they had a punch card and your 10th one was free. And like, and, and I go, and I threw a dollar in as a tip. It's like, I, if I got a free one, I'm not going to just tip a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, can we make it like some ridiculous, can we make like $8 or $7? So we, so there's stuff like that where I kind of, where you kind of worry. I mean, part of it is just like, it's a TV show. I'm. I'm along for the ride. I'm going to take, you know, take one of the team. But there are times where you're like, well, I'm kind of thinking people might think this is the way I really am. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of idiots that watch TV, yeah, right? Yeah. And there's and for someone who doesn't talk about their private life really in their act, yeah, or yeah. their personal life, right? To actually kind of go, oh, this might be one of the most uh, publicly viewed versions of what right. I'm like. Like, yeah. you know, in a hundred years, people might still watch that and go, no, oh, that was that was yeah. Todd Barry. You say boom all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and- I mean, is that? It, that's kind of it, yeah. I mean, not that. I mean, ultimately, if the people thought I said "boom" a lot, I don't think people would be thinking about that forever. You know, it's just like <laughs> they move on to something else. But at the time, it, I think you know he picked up on it and was like, uh, "Yeah." So this is Todd. Thanks, Todd, for coming on the show. Uh, it was a great pleasure to have you. Uh, we will get right back to Todd in just a second. I've just got a couple of little notices. First, Hari Kondabolu, who you'll remember from a previous episode earlier this year, brilliant comic, is released. Uh, he's just released his album uh, Mainstream American Comic, which is available at www.killrockstars.com forward slash Hari, H-A-R-I. If you haven't caught up with that episode yet, please do. He's an absolutely superb comic, very, very funny writer, very political act, uh, and uh, that album. I'd be lying if I said I'd listen to it yet, but I can honestly tell you I am going to listen to it on the plane to Montreal, which I'm going to be on in a couple of days. Um, So uh, uh, I I recommend that. I saw a tiny clip from it, so I can recommend it honestly. But, uh, I mean, his last album was so great. I cannot wait to hear that. So uh, check uh, Hari out at killrockstars.com forward slash Hari. Um, I also just briefly are going to advertise a friend of mine, Michael Clapham, who was very helpful in uh, in hooking me up with Todd. Um, he runs Perfect Strangers Comedy, which you can find out about at perfectstrangerscomedy.co.uk. And he brings American comics over to the UK. People like David Cross, Bill Burr, Todd, uh, Kyle Kinane, Neil Hamburger. And he's got shows coming up with other people like Brendan Burns, Jim Jeffries, Jen Kirkman, the Found Footage Festival. Uh, and also keep your eye out, he says, mysteriously for a huge American comedy show coming to the UK in October and I know what that is and it's pretty exciting but it's top secret for now and um, he also runs or co-runs Group Therapy in Manchester which is a brilliant comedy club uh, and is uh, I think expanding into Nottingham and Leeds this autumn so check out Group Therapy and check out perfectstrangerscomedy.co.uk to find out more about what Michael's up to a uh, very good guy when it comes to touring and organising shows with, uh, with American comics so oh, very nearly there thanks as ever for your donations how can I say this in a way in which I've not already bored you to death with before? I'm going to give myself 20 seconds just to remind you that your donations are the lifeblood of this show uh, as it takes up more and more of my time in research and admin and organisation. Um, it's really important to me that uh, you keep supporting the show. So thanks to everyone that's made a recurring 
payment, uh, which you can do of one, two, five, or even ten pounds at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. If you're feeling extra flush, you could chuck in a one-off donation. Uh, I think I think what <laughs> I think what I feared ha- might happen has happened. I mentioned that I got a hundred pound donation uh, in an attempt to get someone to better it, which they duly did the following week, and since then they've completely dropped off. <laughs> I think everyone's gone like, whoa, everyone's dropping hundred pounds on Stu, are they? I think I'll step back. Those were rare, nay, freak occurrences. Uh, so if you would uh, if you would like to shore up the uh, the recent dearth of donations, you can do that now. Maybe it's as good a time as any. Maybe now is the right time for you to go. Hey, I bloody love Concom. Me, maybe I'll support Stu as he heads up to Edinburgh. And let's face it. You are the guys who get to know about all the exciting secret stuff. I've put this information on the ComCom Facebook group. Um, but also, if you're listening now, then you and you alone shall know that 6.45pm every Tuesday during the Fringe, I'm doing ComCom Redacted, which is a crazy little secret, sort of arguably quite vicious in places uh, format show. It's not being recorded. Uh, it will never be recorded or, or reproduced anywhere. Um, but we're going to do some little uh, sort of... It's a little fun, friendly ComCom cockabout. So maybe I've kept it so exclusive, there'll only be two of you in the audience. Why don't you be one of those two? And uh, those are 6.45 every Tuesday at the Banshee Labyrinth Chamber Rooms, uh, which you can find, I think, it's just off Nidri Street. The main show, of course, is compared to what I have my final preview tonight. It is so ready. I'm going to have to cut 12 minutes from the show. So uh, it'll probably be extra stuff about the baby. And uh, I don't know. The, I mean, I've got a really good bit about feather headdresses, which I really like, but I don't know if it sits in this show. Let's see what decisions I make. Um, you can come and see that show at 3.45pm daily throughout the Fringe. It was so great last year to have so many of you come and support the show and come and take a chance on seeing me live, those of you that haven't already. And I'm pleased to report that every single person who came up afterwards and said they were a pod fan uh, really enjoyed the show or at least had the decency to lie to my face. So if you're thinking of trying it out, please come along at uh, the Liquid Rooms Annex daily at 3.45pm from the first Saturday of the Fringe until the end. It's not on the middle Monday, but it is on every other day. And, uh, I mean, there's some there's some really good gear. The Airbnb bit is bloody great now. That is rocking nicely. And uh, the, the Heaven stuff's great. The Porridge stuff is great. The Fox, the Chicken, the Bag of Grain is now working. Now I've stopped trying to be so clever. And uh, there's some other great new stuff about motorcyclists and uh, who knows, maybe even for the headdresses. The nitrous oxide bit is just mwah. So, the last final preview tonight. I'm, I don't know, am I convincing you or myself? I'm feeling good about the show. Um, so, that's everything I need to mention. Donate, support the show, share it on iTunes, uh, rate it on iTunes, share it with people that you know and love and love and know. And let's get back to Mr. Todd Barrett. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's talk about your authority on stage. Okay. Particularly in, in terms of the crowd work tour. There's a lovely moment at the gig in San Francisco where you say to someone, Are you ready, sir? And that, to me, that, that kind of echoes the tone of the, the whole movie and the mm -hmm. whole tour, I guess. Yeah. Because there's this contract between you and the audience. They're like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for you now. Yeah, there is. But there's also, I mean, here in London, there's been a couple of times where I've just said, all right, I'm, I'm done talking. Yeah. Cause I, not because I'm being a jerk. or I, I don't think anyone should have to come to my show feeling like they're with any more desired than just to watch the show so uh, if someone doesn't want to talk i don't you know i don't want to i wouldn't want to talk either so i don't want to like browbeat someone be like i don't want to be a bully on stage no I like, don't, well i don't think there's any danger of that Do yeah. you, have you ever crossed a line where you've kind of thought i went i went a bit too hard there um maybe no yeah i mean there's been times where i've i've probably said things that i regret yeah just You know. What kind? What kinds of things? Could you be I think I remember making fun of someone because, like, he and both he and his girlfriend both worked at Burger King, and I kind of I don't know, which it just kind of struck me as funny that they both worked there. And then I kind of just saw this look in his eyes, like, oh man, I why am I making fun of him? You know, I was my, my heart wasn't really like ugly at, when I was saying it, but it, I was just I did feel like, oh man, I I don't. This guy's not really enjoying this. <laughs> I know, felt like I just didn't want to be like an elitist. Like, well, I think that's a hard job. I worked at McDonald's, so I know what it's like. And, yeah, but I, I sort of felt like a little bit of a shit then. But I mean, I, I've certainly seen comics do worse than that. Yeah, right. Were you able to kind of row back from that moment on stage? In it was a long time ago, just... so I don't remember. But I imagine I I softened it or something. Did something to. So when you're uh, sorry, just just to stay on the idea of authority uh -huh. um a lot of it is uh, it seems to me a lot of the most successful for, for me the most satisfying uh, improvisations with the crowd are when you are sh almost shining a light on a lie that people are telling themselves uh -huh. or, or telling the rest of the room i oh. mean maybe a lie is too strong a word but you know with the band for example yeah you really you seem to delight in kind of guessing information about people based on how right. they're presenting themselves Yeah, I do, and I mean that band, that scene with the band is seems. I think it's the most talked about scene in the, in the film. That, uh, yeah, I mean that was an example of me basically insulting people. But I mean, if you watch their reaction, they're 
delighted by it. And I, I've since I had them open for me last time. I did, oh, really? I did a crowd work show in LA. I was like, why don't I have? They live in LA. Why don't I throw them a gig? So I did, and I'm sure they they were they're very nice guys, and they appreciated it. And uh, but they were you know they were good natured to see to have a band that's potentially that pretentious be laugh at themselves was pretty nice. Yes. So is there? Do you think you're kind of? I don't know quite what I'm asking. There's something about the the sharedness uh-huh. of the gig experience. There's like the audience are with you. Yeah. I had there's a, a listener and a friend of mine called Dave Carden who listens to this show, and he posted a, a few weeks ago uh, on the the podcast Facebook group. Um, he said, uh, I, I'm really in two minds because I'm going to go and see Todd Barry in Manchester and I've seen the Netflix special and I really want to sit down the front, but I'm really scared. What if he, uh-huh. do you know what I mean? And it's, I, so it's, he's, not a, he's not a comedy performer, right. so there's a certain amount of like, I don't want to be picked on. Yeah. At the same time, he sort of finds it quite delicious. He's like really You're curious. Willing, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's kind of willing to offer himself a sacrifice. It's kind right? of the reason you might start doing comedy is because you're like, oh, this sounds awful, but I kind of want to see what it feels like. Yeah. And yet, there's this there's this kind of very warm spirit in the room. I, someone someone asked. I was sort of asking for questions from listeners for you, mm-hmm. and uh, someone said that it it kind of someone wanted to wanted me to ask you whether you felt like you were whether you felt it was possible to get laughs from people without mocking them, without putting them down. But I don't know if that's a question I felt was the right question because it seems yeah, like maybe the, they, it sounds like they may have thought I was mocking people but i mean i am mocking yeah. them but i'm not i mean it's warm though right yeah I, it's it's never yeah I, I am mocking them but i'm, I'm mocking them in the, in the way that you could mock me and i would be fine with it i mean i, I people make fun of me for you know co- other comics for the way the, my delivery and how i whisper and then i don't get mad at it but so your um let's talk about your delivery let's talk about your persona and okay the, the uh the todd barry uh, experience. That's a terrible way of putting yeah. it. <laughs> um, you, did you start off when you first started off as a comic? Were you talking? In were you, did you sound like this? I don't think so. At some point, I realized that there's a different way I talk on stage, and I, I don't even—I honestly don't like it. Um, when I feel like I go into like, here's the way I deliver my jokes as opposed to just the way I'm talking to you or the way I would talk to someone during a crowd work thing. Um, so I, I got into this cadence. I think it probably because I, I, you know, I sort of lock in my jokes. I've always liked to sort of, I've always wanted to do a, like to do a loose show, have tight material and a loose show. Okay. Um, and yeah, at some point I just sort of locked into this way of speaking and, Sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, ugh. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of, I mean, I, I think it's pretty common aversion that people have to hearing their own voice on uh, recorded. But, yeah, I think, and I think when I first started, I was definitely more, I was more, I would, i describe it as comic-y, you know? It's like, you know, apparently, no, 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 no. Okay. Like the cadence of a, what I thought a comic was supposed to be like. Yes. Then I think I developed more of my own voice. But, when it happened, I have no idea. But and it's presumably it's interesting to hear that you you don't like to listen back to it, or, or that you recognise an element in it. Is that is that because you think it feels false, or do you think it feels still comicy somehow compared to your? Well, it's interesting because now, I mean, when I first started, I would drive like 
I lived in like outside of Fort Lauderdale, and I would drive to one of the open mics in West Palm Beach. It was like an hour, and I would record my set on a cassette. Then I, I would listen to it on the way home because I just you just like oh my god, listen to that! I got laughs and yeah. And now you know sometimes I'm on TV and I don't even watch it or whatever. Or I'll watch. Oh, you know, most of my TV things I've watched one time, and I just I don't know. I kind of don't like that. I almost would rather be still like bright eyed about it, but yeah. But I mean, it's like you hear about people like Woody Allen. You know, they they finish a movie and they don't they don't go watch their movie, you know, or Dylan doesn't listen to his albums or anything. But I don't know. But presumably, your your cadence and your voice these are big parts of why you are the success that you are. I imagine. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I've done something right. What uh, do you think you've done right? Oh shit! Because yeah. uh, uh, yeah, you have clearly done a lot of things right. I mean, I, I, at my best, I do know, I feel like, oh, man, I'm pretty good at this. And, uh, and what, do you, what are your terms for being pretty good at something? I think being, uh, I, I, I sort of like, it's weird, because I like some comics who just really go by the book and deliver the, uh, have you ever seen Brian Regan? Yes. He's great. Yes. But he's not a guy who's going to fly off the handle during a show. Not no. that I fly off the handle. But he kind of just goes out there. He's got these great jokes and this great delivery, and he does it, and you're fucking cold in your stomach and you can't breathe watching him. And then there's someone like David Tell who, like, you almost want to – sometimes it's more fun to watch him with a shitty crowd. Yeah, sure. Because he'll just make these snide remarks, <laughs> and they're hilarious. And just uh, – so he's sort of a loose cannon with great jokes. Um, I forgot what my original point was. Or your question. Uh, I was asking about recognizing the benefits. Oh, yeah. What, oh, what is it that you... Yeah. So I think when I... When I'm... I think when I tell a good joke and then I say something spontaneous, I don't... I mean, the best comics are the ones where you feel like, oh, that's an actual funny to the bone person. You know, it seems like, like Don Rickles, who's like 90 and you're now or whatever. And you're like, oh, this dude's... He's just a funny... He lives and breathes funny. And... um. You know, not that some comics aren't boring off stage, like I might be right now. But, <laughs> but do, I mean, do you do you feel that you're a funny person, or do you feel that you're a person saying funny things? Oh, I think I'm a funny person. Yeah, I will give myself that credit. Are you ever going to write another joke again? Now that you've proved, oh yeah, that definitely. I'm in the middle of doing. I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually, except for this little vacation, not a vacation, but a vacation from that, I. Yeah, that's what I've been working on, and and at home I've been you know I record all my sets, and then I have to really force myself. I don't have like a, I know people like they record the set, then they go home next morning they listen to it, and I was like, I have you know a hundred of them stacked up. Yeah, I think in, that, that's definitely the the rule rather than. And then you're like, and as you stack them up, you're just like, oh, I don't want to listen to eighty of the bests or eighty of the same set. But you know, sometimes if I am not lazy, I will name. You know, you can name the file on your phone. It takes yeah. two seconds, and you can just like listen to the pizza joke or something. And then, yeah, I sometimes uh, I label them with things like "Listen to this, you bastard," because I, yeah, I, yeah. I know that I'm yeah, not going to want to. Exclamation points! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do the same thing, but then I, and then when I actually do listen, you know, especially because you can, at least on my phone, you can burn through it like at double speed, so you can get past the joke that you think is already done, and then <laughs> That's get to a great this, tip. Okay. Yeah, because it's just like all right, and you can. You know, you can check your email while you're burning through it and then get to that one point. Because there are definitely times where I've gotten something out, didn't record it, and never – and I'll, I'll get that back. And it's never gone. comes back. Yeah. 
So when you're listening to them, are you are you making notes? Are you writing stuff down, or are you? I rarely, around? I rarely, because I don't know what to do with the note if I write it down. I sort of make a mental note. Okay. Um, but I may, I don't know. I don't really have a. There's probably a great system that I could come up with, but but I don't know that writing it down. And then I guess I could look at what I wrote down, and I don't know. It's <laughs> a lot of. It sounds so much work. What did you? want to achieve when you started in comedy what was your goal as a comic i never i mean i always knew i wanted to be in show business on some level but i i really didn't honestly have a goal i kind of just did it i i've never been a i mean i don't i'm not a guy like i mean i just looked at jimmy carr's tour schedule and he's booked up he's got his whole year mapped out and i've just i've always like i'm not booked past well, I got some stuff in September and maybe October, but I don't have, like, fill my calendar. Yeah. So I'm, there's part of me that wants to just sort of uh, leave things open, but but I end up working a lot anyway, so. And, do, well, I was going to, my, my follow-up question was going to be, uh, do you think you've achieved that? So if you didn't have, like, a, a vague idea beyond become yeah. a comic. I mean, I've done more than I ever would have thought of done, doing, and... But at the same time, you know, then you find yourself, like, in a hotel and there's something you don't like about the hotel and you're like, fucking bullshit. And you get angry and then you're like, oh, I did all this other stuff. Maybe I should think about that and be glad that someone got me a hotel room. Are you happy? Oh, man. Uh, I'm sometimes happy. I don't know if I'm like a – I don't know. That's a rough one. Okay. What's your next question? Okay, do you not want to talk about when <laughs> no, you're No, not really, no, I don't. I'm really surprised to hear that you don't sit down and write the write the bits down because uh-huh. you, I think you must have a very well-ordered mind because some of the turns of phrase that you use are so rich. Uh-huh. You know, like the bit about uh, ordering the gimlet and oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. sort of old, very old bit and... Uh, the idea of oh is it no which album is it that's like it? that's I wouldn't call it that oh, old. that's, that's 2012 like a, maybe. yeah yeah, yeah so, sorry like, I was confusing like the two albums f- in my head four years old but, but yeah. um, uh, so that bit like uh, the different versions of words that you're putting into the mouths of different bartenders yeah and one yeah. of them is something like oh for many years I refereed a transgender Scrabble <laughs> tournament yeah and I made a note of that and I just wrote refereed like that that, that word is the it, whole, it all hinges yeah. on the word refereed that's just it's like a, 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 a an invention further again. Yeah, is that not a word, referee? Yeah, yeah, of course, oh, okay. of course it is. But the no. idea that, like, rather than just saying, um, "Oh yeah, for many years uh, I played in it," or I used to yeah, watch, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of those jokes. If, I mean, I vaguely remember that joke. Um, I mean, I remember it on some level. But yeah, where you just go, "All right, I got one version of this. I should come up with a few of these." Yes, because that's always nice when it's like, <clears throat> "I can come up with a few of these," and then the joke's longer, and also. I get more laughs. So <laughs> yeah, but the but the the specific wording of the joke, right. I think, is what I'm getting at. But yeah, I mean really that's just something that pops in my head, and then I try it again and again, and then it's like it sort of it gets locked in there. But it's all kind of up upstairs, you know. Is there is there a richness that you're aiming for? Because it seems to me that's a big shift of like it's a big paradigm shift to be the you're not just involved in a transgender scrabble tournament you're refereeing it yeah do you know what i mean it's like is, is there something i probably if i remember if i didn't have to hear the joke but i probably wanted to just change it up from the previous 
tagline. So, okay. So three different versions where it's not like you refereed this, then you refereed this, and you refereed this. You, you don't want that word in there in all three of them. Yeah. So you sort of find uh, synonyms or sim- things that are similar. Sure. But where the joke is not like, yeah, it would be a better. It's a, it would be a, a worse joke if I said referee in every single. No, of course, of course. But yeah. I think it's about the picture that you paint, like uh, the, the, your joke about um, getting, like, meeting very aggressive prostitutes who uh, assume that you have the money yeah, yeah. to pay them, and you're like, absolutely, you know, come back to the hostel. Yeah. And uh, and there's, I think there's a line about like. Uh, you're going to crash into the Danish runaway and cause it to drop his iPhone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, that, do, you, do you see what I'm getting at? It's such specific. The fact that the runaway is Danish, it yeah, just, yeah. It, it's like yeah, incredibly, I love, I mean, that, yeah. it's I'm vivid. Like, yeah, I like that. No, I like that you notice that and that, yeah, I do, when I'm hearing that, I'm like smiling. Uh, yeah, I like to to really just leave no stone unturned kind of. Okay. Not to use a that, hacky cliche. But. Well, I'm, I'm trying to apply this. I'm writing a show at the moment, take uh-huh. up to the Edinburgh Festival, and I'm trying to apply a kind of a Todd Barryness to some of the some of the writing because I feel like, oh, that I'm, I'm actually not being specific enough about that idea. I'm being a bit general. Yeah, I mean, th- that is the thing where I kind of, uh, like even when I'm writing this book, I'm looking at these sentences and you're like, that's just so boring. And I'm going to have to, you know, take a break, break and go back over and go, well, you know, i got to make this interesting. And just sort of just, yeah, just how can every word uh, pop or or just be essential? And, and what's the book? What's the book that you write? book's kind of a tour, a kind of a tour diary kind of situation. Okay. But. Can you tell us any more than that? Are you being secretive about it? Or is well, it it's about, it's uh, I guess I can just, It's. it just doesn't sound very good when I describe it. <laughs> <laughs> it just, uh, I, you know, basically I, I I, booked a bunch of what I guess they would call secondary markets. So not like Chicago, L.A., San, you know. And I played those places well, but I just booked a bunch of these, just like Lansing, Michigan, and, okay. and Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and, and also like Tel Aviv and Maui and, Places where not necessarily every comic goes to. Sure. Know? And so it's, it's a tour dire based on that. Okay. But. And is it, where, where does the impetus come for projects like that and like the crowd work tour? Just to, like you said at the very beginning of when we were talking about wanting to shake yourself up. Yeah, I mean, I've always done, and I wish I did more things because it's, it's like I love doing stand-up, but it just sometimes it's just like you just want to change and you want to do something different. So the crowd work tour was just almost – a joke to myself. I was like, what can I do next? Well, I'm going to do a crowd work tour. And I was like, oh, why don't I? And that, at that time, I didn't have it. I was between agents. So I just I just emailed people I knew and put together a little tour myself pretty easily. And, uh, yeah, and I'm glad I did that. But, but like, the book was just a thing where <clears throat> a book, there was a book guy at my management company, and he wanted to meet me, and we talked, and he kind of, so let's think of an idea, and then okay. he got me a book deal. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm writing a book now. <laughs> okay. So uh, I don't know. I've got a couple of listener questions for you okay. before we wrap up. Um, so Chris Stokes, who's, uh, who I know as well, he's a very good comic, uh-huh. he says, which is more of a challenge, writing material or ensuring your crowd work hits the same beats as written stand-up? Oh, that's a good question. Um, which is more challenging? I think... I almost think I feel like writing a joke is more challenging because cause like I said when I'm doing the crowd work if someone's just 
boring me or not. Or I shouldn't say boring me or it's just not into talking. I can just move on until I find something. So in a sense, that might be easier. But it does sound more challenging to do the crowd work. So It does. I, I do wonder if whether sometimes with crowd work, audiences get more behind it. as they say, It feels more magical because well, they know it's Yeah, improvised. I mean, there's definitely, you notice that if you say something, if I say something during a set, and then I, you know, if I'm doing my jokes and they're doing fine, and then I interact with someone and I come up with something. Yeah. It's like, oh my, yeah, magical is the right word. Yeah. It's, uh. And I wonder, I wonder People like, oh, that was, that's for us. Yes. That just happened for us. Yes. And I, I, I wonder sometimes whether, and I, uh, I don't mean this specifically about, about you and your crowd work at all, but I think generally I, I wonder as a comic whether it can feel to the performer like it's a bit of a scam. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know what I mean? Like we've got, we've got, I've got the ability here, mm-hmm. and I know you'll be way more impressed if you haven't seen many uh, improvised shows. Do you see what I mean? I was talking about this with, there's a company called The Noise Next Door who Uh do like a five-person improv, get someone out of the audience, you know, suggestions, stuff like that. And I was just kind of putting it to them uh, in a friendly way that people, audiences sometimes can be bowled over by the appearance of magic. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I mean, I ran into a guy yesterday at the Soho Theater, who was, I was standing by the box office. He goes, I just saw your show. I'm buying a ticket for Saturday also. And my kind of media reaction was like, you know, oh, that's nice, but also, oh, you don't want to see it twice. But I think a crowd work show you could watch twice more than – I mean, I have people – not a lot, but there's people you like three, three tour dates in a row they show up to see me, and you're like, come on, man, you're killing this. <laughs> you're just, you Are they, why, why would they be killing it? Not well, – because I just feel like I mean I, even like I've gone to concerts where like a band comes to town I, when I'm young it's the more of a thing I would do when I'm younger and they're playing two nights I'm going both nights mm-hmm. and the second night it's just never <laughs> yeah right <laughs> it's like it's like the second cup of coffee it just doesn't really do it as much as the first one so but I think with the crowd work um, yeah I mean I don't know that people would watch it a few times ago. There's a scam. I mean, they might find see familiar patterns that I go familiar roads I go down. But okay, what sort of uh, like what can you give us an example of a a road that you go down? Well, I mean, I, I, mean, I think I mentioned this earlier, where like if it's a band and, and oh sure, I yeah, see, yeah, yeah, and I'll go, you know, I will sometimes go. What what are you, let's hear some song titles because I okay. find that that's always a sure. But if the but presumably if the questions are provocative enough. You yeah. only need one jumping off point, right? And then you're going to get something completely different. Yeah, yeah, to... yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like it's 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 very rare where I'm like, oh my god, I've had this exact conversation yeah. last night. But if you were, and we we'll, we will wrap up okay. with this, if you were to review yourself, mm-hmm. if you do, you do you read your reviews? Yeah, I just I've read a few, I've read the reviews for this show. Yeah. Okay, and are you are, are you satisfied mentally that you can read the reviews and cope with reviews? I mean, I'm sure the reviews I, are positive. Now but. they yeah the ones that I've gotten here are um, they're all I would say they're all good reviews, but <clears throat> you know I always find the negative. I can have, I've I've had glowing reviews of myself, and I'd find well what fucking what do you what do you mean with that sentence, man? Really? Yeah. Because sometimes when they're just wrong, when someone's just wrong, or or sometimes like I, I was telling someone about this the other day, where I did a re- show and Canada and guys I know is a fan of mine and, re- and glowing review, but at some point during the show I I sort of pointed out a low 
that I didn't need to point out. I, yeah. know, if I, regret, yeah, yeah, yeah. I regretted pointing it out. But then, of course, you know, there was a lull when I read the review. There was a lull, and it's like, you did, you're saying that because I pointed it out. Yeah, we, right. You didn't notice that lull as a lull. Isn't that, isn't that weird, that kind of antagonism between comics and critics, whereby people want to kind of find a chink in your armor? Yeah, and also, I mean, I think critics, unless, especially with what I'm doing, I'm finding there's a little bit of, like, it can only be, well, it is it is kind of just a guy asking what do you do for a living. And I think there's, you know, like, they, there's not a richness to it that or, there, or a theme, but it, it isn't. It's There isn't one, so... You know, and one one reviewer who's been very nice to me said, "You know, there's no build." It's like, well, I don't know. I, I, how do I build? You know, unless I know there's, I'm gonna that guy in the corner's got some good shit. Like, yeah, I, have no, yeah, right. I'm I mean, I try to, to build, but I mean, but no, it doesn't build, and it's over in an hour. So it's like, I don't, I don't, you know, it's not gonna be like, and here comes the grand finale. But, but I, I mean, as far as critics, I. When I was went to Edinburgh, uh, it used, I mean, it, it makes me sweat here. It made me almost not want to come here. Okay. Because, you know, if I do a show in London, in New York, that's very unlikely. It's not here like, you know, hey, this guy wants tickets, this guy wants tickets. Like, it's a 140-seat thing, and mm-hmm. by the time the review comes out, I'm going to have three shows left. Yep. And a lot of the tickets are sold already. So, But, I mean, when I first went to Edinburgh, I really sweated that. I mean, I would just... Where, where did you play in Edinburgh? Um, I did the assembly rooms, but they had they had me in an 11.50 p.m. slot. Okay. And I was like, in the next 10 feet away was the best of the fest. Okay. So, yeah. which are you going to go see? You know what I mean? And it was rough. And, uh, you know, and uh, I, th- I got some okay reviews, but then there's some, you know, guy... It's one of those things where you get a review, it's two stars, and you're like, well, you saw a bad show, and also... You write for the paper that they shove in your face when I take the subway in New York. So, who cares? And especially in Edinburgh, where like, at least like here, you know, the London Times guys smart in those comedy. Mm-hmm. And Steve Bennett seen eighteen million shows, mm-hmm. and and this guy Bruce, I forgot how to say his last name. You know, he's they're comedy fans, and they and they like me. So that's that's kind of a but you know, someone like Edinburgh, where it's like, all right, you uh, you're twenty one, and you just started here want to go review some shows because there's 1800 of them yeah and and then they then they sort of get off oh i'm a critic yeah absolutely i think a lot of i think a lot of american comics struggle with edinburgh i to be honest i think a lot of british comics struggle with edinburgh but we probably know more what to expect yeah well i mean it it is it's uh, i mean i remember running into des bishop in uh when i was in edinburgh and i was just like god he's like yeah, it's a rough festival. Like, <laughs> kind of just like he, I, I aired my complaints, but it's also, I mean, there are legitimate reasons why, you know, you can go over and they go, why am I doing this? I could go do a show in Minneapolis for 300 people and stay in a hotel and here I'm like sharing a shitty flat with someone and losing money. Like what is, what is, it's yeah. sort of like a challenge more than like, I mean, I had some great times in Edinburgh, but. And why are you doing it? What is what is that challenge? I think I mean I, I went seven years between doing Edinburghs and uh, that's about the right rotation. There yeah, should I be a so. rule <laughs> you're not allowed back within seven yeah, years I for think, everyone. I mean I think there's a handful of people who could pull off the every year thing, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like it creates an atmosphere of sort of uh, I feel like if you write a show, it should be one that's not disposable after a year. 
So you mm. start over and like I, I think the year is very arbitrary. Like yeah, it's like you don't throw out all your books after a year or everything or something. You know what I mean? It's just uh, so sometimes I you know I've seen shows there where you're like oh, that's not a show, but you, you stay on stage an hour, but that's you can see where like you know here's I'll do this little fucking visual part that's going to kill some time. And I've done stuff to kill time also, where I'm very aware, like, oh, this is going to eat up some time. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm certainly aware of, like, that, like, all right, I have to do an hour, and, oh, good, this is six minutes. That's a nice 10% of an hour. But I don't know what I'm talking about. I forgot what I'm... Uh, we're talking about... Uh, the critics. Why, why do Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, I after seven years, I was just, it's just kind of like, um, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you this time. Yeah, right. And also I went back and I did it with the stand and it was like a dramatically it was like a three o'clock in the afternoon show. Mm-hmm. Which is probably, you know, on the other extreme of maybe a little too early. But I knew they wouldn't be drunks and there were and there were bigger crowds and, and they treated me really well. And there is I think there's something about how difficult Edinburgh is at a festival. It's like funny saying Des saying it's a rough yeah. it's a rough festival. I think that inspires in comedians some comedians a desire to to best it, to learn how to do it, right? To yeah. learn how to game the system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So people are doing show. I'm doing my show at 11 a.m. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm I'm not, but people say yeah. things like that. You know, that's like a, I think Tony Law this year is doing 11 a.m. shows. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you, obviously, if you go back a lot, then you gain a reputation, and someone like Tony Law can do that, and and Kitson could you know say I don't want to do shows on weekends mm-hmm. and my shows at you know 6 in the morning or whatever <laughs> and it's going to be full and he's going to be you know he's going to do it the way he wants to do it yeah. and make money so if you were to review yourself oh. bring it back to the critics thing if you were to review yourself honestly knowing mm-hmm. what you know about your set if you were to watch not the crowd work tour so much but one of your stand up specials mm-hmm. what would you say at this person's Strengths and weaknesses. Oh, okay. I was just going to say four stars. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, That's very modest. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to know. I mean, it's hard to be your own critic, but... Um, yeah, I kind of... Uh, I, I don't... This is supposed to be a challenging question. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, <laughs> my strengths are, uh, I guess, uh, fairly intelligent, unpretentious jokes and... Witty banter. I don't know. I'm, it's, I'm clearly not comfortable with that question. But I <laughs> I could try harder if you want. Um, you, I, I think it's a really interesting question to hear an answer to. Do you, what would you say were your weaknesses? I don't know because I... I oh, my weaknesses. Um, I know some people probably don't like the, the quiet delivery. But I don't know if that's a weakness because no. it probably helped me as much as it's hurt me. I've always said the quiet delivery has hurt me more off stage than it has on stage how do you mean it's just a perception where like there's oh these, yeah you can't do this like we can't put you on this show because you're low key it's like well it doesn't matter that I'm low key okay okay that's interesting from the outside it would just seem like oh that's a great angle no one's doing that yeah but- well that that is a better that's more realistic than yeah because I've had you know I've done shows in like the biggest guy tough guy in the room because he goes Hey, that was really laid back. I appreciate that. It's like yeah, right. Right, the guy you would think would want someone jumping up and down and screaming, but 
Yeah, I mean, I I think if I I you know if I had it if I could become a high energy comic, I would. I think there's an advantage to it. But really? Yeah. That always surprises me. So I've had other people say that, and similarly, high energy comics saying, "Oh, I wish I could expend less energy on stage." Yeah, I mean, I I, don't, I wouldn't want to be like some people go up there and yell, and I just kind of I never understood like why are you yelling? Like it doesn't seem natural to yell, but I don't yell off stage either. So, but you know, I am. Uh, I'm quiet, so that might not be for everyone, but it <laughs> wants think, to be for everyone, really. I think you have an ability to manufacture flow. I don't mean to contrive, but yeah. to create the kind of flow that in order for me to get, like for me to improvise well with an audience, I need to, they need to be laughing at me and I need to feel like I'm sailing mm-hmm. and I need to have a load of energy. And I think you, are, in order for me to kind of make those creative leaps that I couldn't sit and write in a, in a room. Right. Um, and I think you're able to, to kind of to let that wind fill your sail without there needing to be loads of energy. Yeah, I mean, ideally, yeah, like, yeah, I hope so, or else I'm in trouble. Very last question. Then you can interpret this however you like. Okay. What would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone? Oh my God! Just probably just the years I was alive. I don't. I don't think I. I think that's not the place for one last witty quote. For me, I would, but I also don't like to think about dying. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Thanks, man. So that was Todd. Thank you to Todd. Thanks again to Michael Clapham for helping uh, uh, hook me up with Todd. And uh, also thank you to Johnny Mouncer for his, his sterling editing work. Thank you to Livy Phipps for a brilliant log for this episode. And um, thank you to you for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. I appreciate it. Uh, come along 3.45pm daily throughout the Fringe and see my own stand-up show compared to what I'm feeling. Very excited about it indeed. So come up and see that if you're at the Fringe. Uh, I will be doing regular Fringe recommendations. I will try to keep the podcast schedule regular during the, the, the festival. But, you know, it's an insane month. I'm going to have the Boutros with me and uh, it's going to be fairly... It's kind of extraordinary, even by my 22-year fringe veteran standards. So um, I will do my best, but I will certainly be putting at least one fringe show recommendation per day on the Facebook group. So if you haven't yet joined the Comedians Comedian Facebook group, I think they cut it off at 5,000, and we are well over halfway there. I think we're on something like 3,700 right now, and it's a really active, engaged kind of community. So please jump on there, and you can get all the recommendations uh, and... uh, and that'll do for now, I think. I'm not going to stick a waffle on you, I'm afraid. Normally I'd chat to you for 10 minutes about what's going on in my life. But what's going on in my life is I am too busy to talk. It's, we're nearly there. Just for Laughs is going to be amazing. Can't wait for Montreal. Um, the, the podcasts I've arranged are with Lewis Black. That's the big live one. That's going to be so much fun. If you don't know Lewis, get stuck into his work. He's got hundreds of albums on Spotify or wherever else you might find them. And I'm also going to grab Mark Forward, who I saw have a really invigorating gig at Edinburgh last year. Cameron Esposito is on my hit list as well. And, um, I'm I'm looking for one or two other people but the volume of research required is pretty huge and the festival starts quite soon so I will contact you all from Montreal I'll record a little something there for you and and then I'm back and it's straight up to Edinburgh so no time for love Dr Jones I'll speak to you from the festival from the festivals and I'll talk to you soon thanks for listening Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.